Welcome to Future Docs Podcast. My name is Pedram Mizani. I'm a family physician, the chief clinical officer here at AC Medical and your co-host of Future Docs Podcast. And I'm your other co-host, Dr. Valen Rosas, a leadership intern here at AC Medical. And as always, we invite you to watch the video version of this podcast by visiting youtube.com forward slash acmedicalorg. Today's episode, episode 54, is Crossing the U.S. Border for U.S. Clinical Experience. Now, we discussed in the previous episode, episode 53, how crucial it is to have U.S. clinical experience, especially for U.S. letters of recommendation. So this episode is targeted for non-U.S. IMGs. As we know, non-U.S. IMGs, those who require visa sponsorships, are usually a major contributor to U.S. workforce. But as we've seen during the pandemic, their entry into the U.S. can be delayed and even now unpredictable or it can be stopped altogether. Even before visa sponsorship for U.S. residency, they need to gain U.S. clinical experiences, which is also the reason why they require a visa. Today's podcast, we will focus on those students and doctors needing a U.S. visa to gain U.S. clinical experience. For the process for getting a visa, Dr. Mazzani, what type of visa do medical students need for U.S. clinicals? Dr. Rosas, thank you so much for the question. This is a very sensitive topic uh, that we'll be discussing today. And for all the listeners, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we're not immigration attorneys and we're not providing any sort of legal advice or immigration advice. And we're simply sharing our members' experiences and what is publicly available online. And so with respect to the type of visas that are necessary, we have medical students and we have medical graduates. Medical students attending medical schools uh, abroad outside of the United States uh, who want to complete a portion of their medical clerkships here in the United States as a part of their medical curriculum, they want to do it here as a part of a U.S. medical school's teaching hospital, they must apply for a B-1 visa. The same token, medical graduates who are wanting to come to the United States and gain clinical observership uh, experiences they also apply for a B-1 visa. But for medical graduates, it is not as clear-cut as it is for medical students who are entering the United States for completing their medical education and to graduate from their MD or or whichever medical program they're involved in. So a B-1 visa, and are there other types of visas they could have? They could be here in the United States on other types of visas, but uh, if you're a medical student doing four-credit clinical clerkships or medical clerkships, as they call it, then you need to be on the right type of visa. And so let's say that somebody's here on F1 and doing a USMLE prep course, or they're in an English program, technically they cannot be also co-enrolled in something else for credit as well, and trying to get credit for that here in the US because they have to be committed to that F1 program uh, that is for credit. So for those students, they need to be on a, on a B1 visa. Now, again, there may be other circumstances that we're unfamiliar with but B1 is what we're most familiar with and, and uh, where, the, where the medical students are, are protected under for credit clerkships. And how long do these visas usually last? Like if you had six months worth of clinical experience, does it cover the six months or by request? It varies case by case. It's really different. It depends on what the U.S. Embassy and the visa interviewer, how they feel about them coming to the United States and the overall duration. It, it really varies by person to person. And what's the process like? How long does it usually take? 
Sure. Well, you know, right now being that we're almost February 2022, some of the you know visa interview appointments are not given until you know almost end of 2022. Uh, there are some provisions allowed for emergency or expedited visa interview appointments, and uh, we do ha- offer some assistances uh, with those with regards to you know, letters of enrollment uh, here at AC Medical. You know, it's got to be a, a you know certainly a valid case. But, uh, but we do offer some assistances with that. So the process is once you receive the letter of enrollment from us, that's usually done after you enroll and you attend a U.S. clinical experience orientation and, and you know what it is that you're coming to the United States to, to do with regards to your clinical rotations through us, whether you're a medical student or a medical graduate. And once you do that and you submit all of the, the, the documents that are required by us, then you will become what we call fully enrolled and credentialed. And once you're fully enrolled and credentialed, then we will give you either one document, which is a letter of enrollment, which uh, outlines you know the reason why you're coming to AC Medical and our invitation of you into our organization. And uh, if it's determined that an emergency visa letter is, is needed in, in your case, then we can assist with that as well. So that's the, the the first few steps of, of working with us once you have the letter of enrollment and once you have a visa appointment then you go to the u.s embassy and then they'll interview you and you certainly have to present all of the documents and and you know we let the process uh, go on from from there uh, once the visa is uh, accepted um and and an issue to you then you will be able to come to the United States. And then there's another step as well, which is the the border patrol. And they'll ask you, what is the reason why you're coming to the United States? And it's kind of very similar to the visa interview. It's just more of those same questions. And they just want to make sure that uh, you're coming here for the right reasons. Uh, Backtracking to the letter of enrollment, um, what's the content like? And then uh, is it something that you process back and forth with our school? And what are the fees, if any? So we don't charge for a letter of enrollment. A letter of enrollment is a result of, of our member becoming fully enrolled and credentialed, and it's a, it's a sign of that. The content of the letter of enrollment changes based on the type of, of rotator that, uh, that you are. Let's say that you're a medical student requesting for credit uh, medical clerkships, and then the content is different than that letter versus somebody who has uh, graduated already and is coming in for observerships, and that content is different. Uh, so who you are, what you're coming here to do, what is the purpose is, is very important in uh, which letter of enrollment you're, you're issued. Right. So for when we speak with an immigration officer at the border, what are some good reasons or what's the purpose of our stay in the U.S.? What should um, we say to them? Well, we can't tell you what to say to them, but it's really important for you to know what it is that you're going to be doing. And um, and I think most people get in trouble when they don't have an idea how to explain what it is that they're doing. So we spend a lot of time just making sure you understand the difference between who you are if you're still a medical student versus somebody who's graduated from medical school or vice versa. If you're graduated from medical school, you know, don't introduce yourself as a medical student, right? Inconsistencies like that tells anyone that you kind of have no idea what you're supposed to be doing and what you're not. Because, you know, in the United States, a medical student who is properly placed in a clinical rotation, they can practice limited medicine without a license. And and that's why processing is so important. And that's why both the, you know, Border Patrol and uh, the U.S. embassies are are so concerned about anybody within the healthcare profession that is coming in into our healthcare profession uh, and has anything to do within the system. So 
most people uh, get in trouble because they, they, they can't explain what it is that they're doing and they explain it incorrectly. I'll give you an example. For example, uh, you know, we've had situations where a medical graduate would get to the border and say, well, I'm coming to practice. And to them, in their mind, the word practice meant to exercise and to just, you know, kind of not the real thing, but, you know, just kind of working on it. It's like a drill. Well, the, the word practice in the profession of medicine means actually doing it. Uh, same thing with law. The practice of law means to practice and you require license. And something as small as that is enough to cause concern for the individual who has the, uh, who's, who's tasked with making sure that they protect the population here in the United States against anybody who does any sort of unlicensed work. And so, again, it's really critical to us that, that our rotators understand what it is that they're doing, what they cannot do. You know, if they're coming in to uh, observe, that's what they're supposed to do. They're not supposed to introduce themselves as a medical student or a doctor. And, and uh, you know, we, we, again, we, we spend a lot of, lot of time making sure that that, that occurs and, and uh, our, our, the preceptors that are supervising all of the rotators, they also uh, are, are watching out for that, too. If I'm a medical graduate, can I say I'm here for clinical rotations or uh, externship or clerkship? Are those terms I can use? So once you enroll with us, we'll you know we'll we'll uh, go through the details of what it is that you are going to be doing. But yeah, if you're a medical graduate, you're not doing clerkships. Uh, that's a really good example of what you just brought up because a student would do clerkships, but a medical graduate doesn't do clerkships. They would do observerships. And so using the correct terminology is key. What about um, clinical blocks? Those are terminologies that, that we use at AC Medical and, and the terminologies that we use in our common everyday day-to-day -day conversations are, you know, they may not be known to the border patrol or the immigration officer. And so we, we try to avoid using those type of terminologies that will confuse people that are tasked with, with pretty important uh, work, which is to protect the, the, the U.S. public and to make sure that unlicensed activity does not occur. So it's really important that, that the correct words are used and and the and not only just the correct words are used, but they understand what it is that that they should and should not be doing. You know, we, we're we're 100% on board with uh, with the, the the Department of State and every U.S. embassy when they're interviewing. They have a very very big responsibility to make sure that that the individuals that they're allowing to come into the United States are, are coming in for the right reason. And then what if they ask, what is your line of work? Is it okay to say I'm a medical doctor or I'm a medical doctor in my country here for U.S. clinical experience? Well, they have to be honest. There is, you know, everybody is doing something different abroad. If they are practicing medicine abroad or if they're, you know, if they're a physician, then they, they say what they're doing. You know, none of that should change. Uh, the, the facts of life should not change. But it is very important that that, you know, that the, the officers know that you're coming here to do this observership or do this medical clerkship for your school and you're going back, right? That's that's really critical for them to know. I think a lot of times as, as MDs who are trying to advance in our career, it's not hard for some to oversell themselves. And, and I think that whole process of overselling can really, really backfire. So just it's unnecessary to oversell you know this is not a, a job interview this is you know this is pretty serious and then for the checkbox uh, it's typically pleasure business visiting family or education um what is what do you recommend checking on that those are questions that that have to be answered by the person applying for visa that's not something that we help with at all at ac medical those are the process of securing a visa 
crossing the border, uh, all of that is the responsibility of the rotator. So if you have any questions with regards to which category do I really fit in or, you know, what I'm about to say, is it legal or not? I strongly recommend that you seek advice from counsel, from a U.S. immigration attorney who has experience in, in your part of the world so that they can, they can answer your legal questions. Would it be worth it to hire a lawyer for this type of case? I think that if what we just talked about here today, if, you know, if some or the majority of it did not make sense, then yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that you need to have an attorney that is going to sit down with you and, and go through uh, not just what I discussed, but, but the entire visa application. Because if you're unable to justify that you understand what it is that you're doing, that you have the support system here in the United States and you understand that you've got to go back and you understand that what your relationship is like with, with us and with the clinical sites, then yes, for sure, you, you need additional advice and preferably from an immigration attorney. Right. What If you pay the full price for a clinical block and then unfortunately you get denied at the border, what does AC Medical do in that case? Thankfully, it doesn't happen often. Uh, that's you know really important to us. Uh, we we do cross all of our T's and dot all our I's, and and uh, we're you know we, we have a lot of conversations with uh, with everyone so that uh, again everybody understands it, that, that that they know what it is that they're going to be doing and they stick with it and they know what their expectations should be from us because it's not going to be any different than what what we say in our letters of enrollment and and so so thankfully that doesn't happen often. Now if they do get to the border and they they are turned around. You know, we certainly would like to know what was the reason for that. And we have policies in place at, at AC Medical for something like that to happen. If that was to happen, then, you know, you have options of uh, certainly we would tell you to go ahead and get an immigration attorney and don't try to just go through it again on your own. And the immigration attorney can can help you figure out where if there were any mistakes or or it was just bad luck or, or whatever the case may be. So I think that seeking counsel is really important if there is a rejection. And if you see counsel and uh, you try again, or if you don't want to try that and you just said, look, I just want to, I want to cool down period. I don't want to go through this again. And so we can uh, switch the type of clinical experience that you have into a live online. So you can, you know, get that uh, similar clinical experience. It's not going to be the same thing, but rather than in person, you can get it in live online uh, or alternatively, we could issue you a credit on file. But we would need proof of uh, of the uh, rejection and, and uh, you know, there's a process for that. You will file a case and, and we go from there. And for the live online, is it as effective for program directors? Do they consider that as well as uh, in-person rotations? Uh, well, you have different qualities of live online and, and uh, we, we have a pretty good podcast on that. But for the purposes of, of somebody who's let's say they they want to they don't want to cross the border or they can't get a visa interview date anytime soon and you know they need to have letters of recommendation either for supplemental offer and acceptance program or let's say that you know they had planned to come to the United States in July and you know the border shut down again if that happens then then the next best thing is live online now you have different qualities of live online and so we have many of our members that that were in that situation and and we 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 Put them in live online because they couldn't get to the United States, and uh, and they applied to the match and and they've secured interviews. So it's one thing to use live online to secure interviews. It's another to use live online to start residency. 
I think that it's really, really important that anybody who starts residency, that they have in-person clinical experience in the United States and not just rely on live online before they start their PGY-1. It's a very, very serious position that, uh, that you're applying for. You're going to be practicing medicine and, you know, as a resident and, you know, if you've had no in-person experience in the United States, the chances of, you know, some bad things happening either, you know, to patients or to your own career, just simply because you haven't seen some of the things that goes on in residency in person. And it's just been limited to that interaction of video conference with a patient and one attending and really the things, all everything in the, in the, in the periphery is, is kind of not there because you're not there in person all the time. Um, that, that leaves room for, uh, for a lot of, uh, negative consequences. So I think, you know, live online is good for the initial intended purposes of it. Uh, but, but, you know, once you match and, and you're about to start residency, if all you've had was live online clinical experience, I would really strongly recommend that you gain one to two months of U.S. experience before you start your residency in person. And, person. and uh, last question, is there a way to, like, are there countries that you could easily go through, like stay in a, a couple of weeks at a certain country so you could get easier access to the border? I'm not sure about easier access to the border, but I do know that, you know, during the pandemic, there were certain countries that uh, we just were not allowing their uh, their citizens to come into the United States and uh, or sure, they're travelers, not their citizens, but they're travelers. And so for for those, what they did is they would go to a, 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 they were called, you know, like the, the banned countries. And so those individuals from those countries would go to a country that is not banned, let's say, for example, Mexico, and they would stay there for a couple of weeks. And then from there, they would come into the United States. We, we saw that happen and, and uh, it worked for the, the people that we knew. They were able to come into the United States. Okay, that's a good thing to consider. Thank you. Well, this concludes this Future Docs podcast episode. And if you're listening to this podcast, be sure to watch the video form on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash acmedicalorg. Yeah. And thank you so much for listening for all of our, uh, you know, future AC medical members who are located abroad. There's, um, you know, U.S. clinical experience is critical. Getting to the United States is critical. And, you know, during that time that you wait, not wasting your time is really, really important. So maybe do live online while you try to figure out your your uh, visa interviews and, and uh, you go through our credentialing process and you really understand what it is that you're going to be doing through AC Medical. And so once you have your visa interview, then you can come to the United States and you can gain your in-person clinicals. Regardless of the situation, we have your back and, uh, um, you know, we always want to do the right thing. So, um, you know, once you join us, I think you'll be pretty uh, amazed at how much support that you'll have and, and with appropriate guidance and mentorship while you go through the process of coming from another country into the United States and securing a visa and going through the Border Patrol, et cetera. So we appreciate the opportunity you give us. As always, thank you for your time, Dr. Mazzani. And for our future docs, we will catch you next week. Thank you so much, Dr. Rosas. Thank you for listening and watching, everyone. Have a great day.